0: Slime, 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 slime. The slimiest fish I ever saw. Pools of snotty, oozy, gooby goo congealing in the bottoms of coolers. Glooping from bags, yucky buckets overflowing. Pungent mucus everywhere. If anything was grotesque about this fish, it was
1: this. Today on Arts and Letters, we'll be talking with fish writer Mark Spitzer about his book, Beautifully Grotesque Fish of the American West published by the University of Nebraska Press.
0: As non-native species ourselves, in most places where we exist, we tend to prefer species we've come to perceive as natural resources, even if they aren't. Lake trout, after all, are landlocked salmon. They used to rule Flaming Gorge, but now the new top predators on the block are burbot, which not only compete with trout for food, but swallow whole trout half their size.
1: Ice fishing, the burbot bash, and Mark Spitzer on arts and letters. From the studios of KUAR in Little Rock, I'm Jay Bradley Minnick, and welcome to Arts & Letters, a program providing opportunities for the celebration of the arts and humanities. Today, we'll be talking with fish writer, Mark Spitzer, about dealing with the creature who put the ish in fish. That would be the bourbon. So let's join Mark as he attends with his homemade press badge, a fishing contest which helps control the exploding numbers of this invasive species. A burbot bash. I was heading
0: to the 2014 burbot bash in Manila, Utah to investigate a creature celebrated for its grodiness, and I was also tackling a personal demon head on. I come from Minnesota, but I've never liked or understood the concept of ice fishing. I was prepared, though, with hundreds of dollars of high-tech long underwear, an extreme weather winter jacket, padded pants good to 30 below, super warm boots, and specialized gloves. I had two goals, one, to get the story, and two, to catch myself a bourbon.
2: feed no use on this
0: The fear, of course, is that this invader from the North will lay waste to the Green River ecosystem. Illegally introduced in the early 90s, Herbert have been bumming out anglers, state agencies, and chambers of commerce for decades. With adult females releasing between half a million and three million eggs per spawn, this truly grotesque freshwater cod has become, in essence, a uniquely grotesque terrorist.
2: Take me to the river. Lay me low.
0: Known as lawyer, ling, loach, lush, cusk, Maria, wethy, spineless catfish, gudgeon, mud blower, and a host of other regional names, the burbot Lota lota finds the root of its name in the Latin word barba, meaning beard, due to its single wormy barbel beneath the chin. In the United States, they are distributed from Washington to Maine, with their southernmost populations dipping down into Missouri and Utah which is why I found myself starting my sabbatical by winding through a great ancient canyon land of scrubby brush and beautiful buttes. There were antelope everywhere and snow-dusted mesas busting up from the winter crust. I saw herds of elk, migrations of deer, three coyotes, and plenty of golden eagles, and I knew I was back in a place that was part of me, from which I'd been absent for too many years. This geologically dramatic landscape stratified by layers of red, orange, purple, and gold, always kicks me square in the heart. I don't know if this effect is due to the terrain, feeling familiar or alien, but I know it's spectacular, and it never fails to choke me up.
1: So do you have a love-hate relationship with this fish?
0: Um, I just met this fish, and we only went out once, so. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: really? You only, I, only I, I respect one. the fish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: He said, take me to the water.
0: Environmental Lemonade, dealing with the creature that put the ish in fish.
2: Lower me down. My feet are know you.
1: On this Mark Spitzer, welcome. Thank you, Brad. So, it's burbot. In this case, you call the section environmental lemonade, dealing with the creature that put the ish in fish. Yeah. How do the burbots put the ish in fish?
0: People are really freaked out by this grody-looking fish. It's slimy. It's eely. It's got these weird barbels hanging off it. It's just a fish that you look up and go, ick.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So it puts the ish in fish. Right.
0: They're eely, they're mucousy, they've got huge salamander-looking heads with bulging bubble eyes, and they're devouring the lake trout, rainbow trout, cutthroats, kokanee salmon, smallmouth bass, and almost everything else in Flaming Gorge.
1: And in this one, like you did in, in your Gar book, you take us on a little bit of a journey. This one in particular is called the Burbot Bash. We go on an expedition mm-hmm. where people fish in a contest for burbot.
0: That's right. The idea is to get 4% of the burbot population out of the Flaming Gorge Reservoir through two annual fishing competitions.
1: Tell us a little bit about these competitions. They're designed on three levels in some ways. It's like people go out, have a good time, A. B, there's actually some prize money in this. Right. And C, the idea (laughs) is to thin the the herd a little
0: bit. The idea is to thin the herd, yes. And it happens in Wyoming and Utah. It's basically on the border there. And uh, the people up there, they've got their native trout and their introduced salmon and um, all the sport fish that they love, and then somehow, Somebody in the 70s strategically dumped a bunch of burbot, which is sometimes referred to as eel pout, into the Green River system, and this invasive species is just taken off like wildfire, and um, they're an apex predator, and so they're eating the, the kokanee salmon and the trout up there. That's why there's a burbot bash. It happens every year, and there are two main parts. The first tournament occurs in November, and the fishing is done from boats. The second tournament happens in January on the ice. This fishing pressure helps control the exploding number of this invasive species. The contests remove thousands every year, and the attention attracts anglers throughout the year, who remove thousands more.
2: Though the cold is not ideally guess the time's to get your mealy Gotta get them while it's chilly On the ice, roll the dice In a fisher's paradise There's no reason to think twice They taste
3: quite nice oh, 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 It's a bur-bur-bash.
0: Putting these serpentine slimers back in is against the law, but luckily for us, they're damn tasty.
2: They're not bony, I'm not phony, and I swear it's not baloney that there is a ceremony for this water macaroni. They go squish like no fish that you've had upon your dish, but I bet you'll beg and wish you had this fish. burb oh, oh, oh,
3: it's a burb
1: take on these fishing contests because sometimes mm-hmm. with some of them particularly with the one that we talked about with the gar that was that was upsetting in some ways because there's just so yeah. much waste going right on.
0: um well this this is a competition to thin the herd as you said it's more just a continuing of a traditional thing it's it's more for the people it's more for the carnival atmosphere but with this it's twofold it's to reduce the burbot in the system and it's also to make lemonade, to, um, mm-hmm. to 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 bring in another tourist attraction, to bring in revenue right. for the communities.
1: And they do that. So this is a pretty big <clears throat> deal. I mean, a lot of people go to this, this event, don't they? Right, yeah. You're listening to Arts and Letters. We're talking with Mark Spitzer about environmental lemonade, dealing with the creature that put the ish in fish. We'll be back in a moment. I'm Jay bradley Mack, and this is Arts and Letters. Let's return to our conversation with fish writer Mark Spitzer as he talks about attending the verbit batch in Flaming Gorge, a sprawling, snaking 66-square-mile reservoir on the Wyoming-Utah border. So you're going on this trip. Are you going as part of the press, or are you kind of just doing this on your own? Because it seems like your, your goal is A, to get the story, but also to uh, catch yourself some of the bourbon.
0: Sometimes when I go off on this vision research, I play the role of the press. I mean, I work for a press. My books are published by a press. So what I do is I create myself a press badge. It says press. <laughs> and uh, people love to talk to the press. <laughs> Yeah.
1: You know, you, you grew up in uh, Minnesota, am I right? That's right. Yet you hate ice fishing. What kind of Minnesotan are you? I guess I'm one that lives in the <laughs> south. It's um, warmer. Why is it that, that you don't like ice fishing very much?
0: Um, I don't like ice fishing because it was awkward and as a kid. Um, we never had ice houses. I would sometimes go with somebody's grandfather who would auger a hole. You're out on the ice, it's 20 below, you're a kid, you're, you're freezing, you're wondering, why am I doing this? I mean, I understand now, like, if you're in an ice house or an ice hut or something, and you've got a bottle of whiskey and some friends, that could be fun. But for a, a kid out among the elements, it was just like, why the heck am I doing
1: and these fish, the burbot, are called eel pout, primarily because they have this thing that looks like a, a beard, essentially, like a, you write a single wormy barble.
0: Pout um, is, is, is a New England term for, for bullhead, mm-hmm. uh, the horned pout. It's like saying this is like an eely catfish. Whereas most global populations of burbot are either stable or in decline, this population had been growing for years. But from the billions of eggs jettisoned every winter, only a fraction are ever successfully fertilized. After that, only thousands survive to become adults. Hundreds of humans then come along and remove thousands of burbot from the lake. The hope is that this process will eventually lead to more manageable numbers, and that seems to be what's happening. I began talking to the anglers, trying to gauge how they felt about this fish. From what I gathered, it was a love-hate relationship. The citizens in this area love their trout and the tourism that comes from trout. But they also love the tourism that comes from burbot. Though most locals profess to hate this fish, a burbot-focused culture has nevertheless established itself as a novelty in the region, with the potential perhaps to become even more popular than trout. But if they let that happen, then a longer-standing part of their identities would be lost to a new wave of introduced species devouring an old guard of introduced species. Anyway, I was eager to get out in the field, but since I didn't have an auger, I needed someone to aug for me. I told this to the Daggett County Commissioners, and they assured me that if I walked out on the ice and started talking to anglers, someone would eventually drill me a hole. Someone also told me that if I headed north to road 11, then turned right and went to the end, my chances would be good that I'd catch a burbot. So that's what I did.
1: You're all ready to meet your personal demon, which is to get out on the ice. That's right.
0: All mummied up, I trekked out into the wind with my press tag hanging from my jacket. I had my gear in a five-gallon bucket, and I could see that the ice was a foot thick. It warbled as I walked, sending out weird burbling sounds and distant cracks that made me flinch. But as I could see, there were others on the ice, and they weren't running from the swelling, swaling undulations beneath the frozen skin. I approached a spot in the middle, a scattering of ice holes surrounded by canvas chairs and gear. The only person out there was a teenage boy who had a couple of lake trout lying on the ice. I introduced myself as the press and talked with him for a bit. He wasn't catching bourbon, though, and he didn't offer to auger me a hole, so I moved on to the next spot, sometimes stopping, wondering if I should just give up. I felt forced to operate this way. To get a hole, I had to chat someone up, which just wasn't me. But since I had just driven 1,300 miles, and since it would be lame to wuss out, I wasn't me either. So the me I wasn't approached two guys who'd staked out another spot. I told them I was here to get the story. Story on what? The story on Burbit. You bet, brother, the burlier guy replied and pointed to two three-footers lying on the snow, occasionally flopping around. They were about seven pounds each which is pretty big for this fishery the world record however is 25 pounds that fish came from saskatchewan they don't get much longer than four feet we talked for a bit and then i got what it came for want me to drill you a hole buddy awesome i told him and he broke out a gas-powered auger a minute later i was sitting on my bucket and jigging a chunk of sucker meat off the bottom which was 50 something feet below we knew this because they had a portable fish finder and they were watching for activity the older guy showed me the tackle he caught his two burbits on, a big silver spoon tipped with a hunk of sucker meat, then started ribbing his friend about not catching anything. They bantered with each other and joked around as I hung out listening to them, sounding a lot like what I jokingly call my fishing support group in Arkansas. Then bonk! It hit, just like I'd seen on the short video, Burbit Fishing, on YouTube underwater camera was focused on a spawning ball because that's what burbot do. They get together in a writhing mass of 10 or 15 fish, and if you doink a jig up and down in the middle of a swarm, they strike like big fat dummies that don't even fight. Burbot after burbot, they just kept getting hooked and hauled to the surface. My favorite part was at the four minute mark when two burbots struck one jig at once and they both got yanked up. Yep, it had to be a burbot on my line because it was coming up like a log. My $24.99 rod was bending to the max, and I had to tighten the drag. But when it became visible, I saw there was just a lake trout. Aw, man, I complained. It was a three-pounder, beautiful fish, but it wasn't what I'd come to get. Still, it was food, and since I'd never caught one before, I kept it as my companions took off for another spot. I then jigged for another half hour, but nothing was biting, so I gave up.
1: I find this kind of funny that these guys, kind of as back to nature as this is, it's not completely that way, they have a chainsaw to, it's not the old augers that they used to use.
0: Oh, yeah. And they uh, have the, uh, the,
1: and then they have the fish finder.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's not your father's Oldsmobile. (laughs) No,
1: it
2: isn't.
1: Tell me a little bit about your fishing support group in Arkansas.
0: Oh, yes, yeah. it's, it's a joke, fishing support group. Uh, we, we joke that we uh, support each other, that we go out and talk about our feelings, but we're actually out there drinking beer and fishing and clowning around. Got it.
2: Whatever keeps you humble Whatever keeps you whole Whatever picks you up when you stumble Whatever satisfies your soul
0: That night, I put on more layers and went out again, this time to a spot known as the Confluence of the Green and Black Fork Rivers, where I decided to try my luck again. The word on the street was that burbot were out deeper during the day, but at dusk they moved into six to ten feet of water, and that's where they were caught all night, which is the best time to fish for them. I parked down at Lost Dog, then headed out on the freaking ice. It was creepy being out in the blackness, wondering if I might fall through, but the Milky Way was out in sparkling force, lending a supernatural shimmer to the strong, crisp bite of the sky.
2: So whatever keeps you humble, Whatever keeps you whole, whatever picks you up when you stumble, whatever satisfies your soul.
1: You take your notebook with you and... How do you get the details? I just particularly love this paragraph, Milky Way with sparkling force leading a supernatural shimmer. You know, beautiful language. How do you kind of recapture that language? Yeah, I take notes when I'm out
0: there, either in a notebook or on a tape recorder. And then right after I do something like this, I'm writing about it the next morning. Okay. So I don't forget to get the narrative down as quick as I can. With my Scotch tape laser printed press badge, I approached several outposts on the far side of the lake, where tents were set up. Most of them surrounded by ATVs and propane tanks. There was camouflage everywhere, and snowmobiles and sleds full of gear. With my official-looking homemade badge, I must have looked like a game warden walking up to check people out. But when they found out I was there to get the story, they were always glad to show me their burbet To keep
2: out them good things and
0: The first guy I met introduced himself as Robert and offered to drill me a hole. I thanked him and told him I'd be back after I checked with others in the area. Nobody was catching much, but everyone was glad to talk burbot. People were friendly, interested, and no one was getting super drunk. Sure, some were enjoying a drink or two, but the overall atmosphere was totally opposite of what I imagined to be the case with the other famous burbot event, the annual Eel Pout Festival in Walker, Minnesota a town of 1,500 that mushrooms to 10 times that size every February. Their festival on Leech Lake features a burbot curling competition, they're frozen in blocks of ice and their tails act as handles, burbot rugby, and a pout plunge in which hundreds of daring Nordic types leap into freezing openings cut in the ice. Though some go there to fish for burbot, it seems that most go there to party till they puke. In 2013, the Brainerd Dispatch quoted Commissioner Jim Dawson, who claim that 95% of the participants are intoxicated. The Brainerd Dispatch also notes that there's a problem with tons of trash, garbage, and human waste being left on the ice after the event is over, and the Cass County Sheriff is frustrated at the crime and debauchery.
3: Want to shout makes me freak.
1: Burba rugby. So I guess they're just throwing the fish around and tackling each other. I right? guess
0: so. Oh yeah. my
1: god. Yeah, and see, those are the two kind of extremes that you often bring up with these contests. The one mm-hmm. is this one here at the Eel Pal Festival in Walker, Minnesota, which is really just kind of a—it's yeah. like spring break for fishing. Right. For fishing, <laughs> and then yeah. this one seems like a family event.
0: Yeah. Right. Um, but you know, I might—it just might have been who I saw, and um, sure, I think there were some other guys I saw at that uh, Burbit bash that definitely had a blood alcohol content. Out at Flaming Gorge, I saw a lot of families. Parents brought their kids, husbands brought their wives. They were camping in trailers on the shore and tents on the ice with barbecues and picnic tables set up all over the place. People were walking around visiting one another's camps and there was definitely
1: a social feel in the frigid air. I'm Jay Bradley Minnick, and you're listening to Arts and Letters. We'll be back in a moment. This is Arts and Letters. Let's return to our conversation with fish writer Mark Spitzer as he tries to catch a bourbon elusive to no one else but him.
0: Eventually I wandered back to Robert's camp and he drilled me a hole. So I baited up, focused my light on my glow jig, then dropped it in. We talked about his job as a specialized Air Force technician and we talked about mine as a creative writing professor. His wife drank a Budweiser Clamato Chalada And reclined in a lawn chair and again i was grateful that strangers would take me in and be so welcoming but sitting there jigging 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 and not catching anything i began to recall why i disliked ice fishing there's just something about this kind of below freezing just sitting there non-action that makes me lose patience maybe it's the lack of actual movement or not being able to see much but whatever the case after an hour i got tired of staring into an indifferent hole so I gave up again. So
1: denied number two. Yeah. Yeah, and you're right. You know, I hadn't thought about that. But, like, some of the part of fishing is even though you can't see the fish, you do see something. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. In this case, you're looking at a hole. Right. <laughs> can't see anything under the ice. Yeah.
0: The next day, the check-in began at the Buckboard Marina, one of the three check-in locations. I met the officials there at 8 o'clock in the morning, and with my trusty press badge, I was able to position myself right in the middle of the action. Working with Wyoming Game and Fish, I counted the burbot as they came in by the cooler load. They were transferred to tubs, counted, and scanned for micro-sized pit tags, passive integrated transponder tags, embedded in the abdomen, then measured if they had a chance Placing for the largest or smallest fish. The two to four member teams could either donate their catches to the upcoming fish fry or keep the fish for themselves, but they had to chop off the tails of any they kept so that these couldn't be reused by other contestants. The first team, Slough, brought in 21 burbot, and the second team, Team Tuna, brought in 81, including a 35.5 incher that weighed 7.4 pounds. After that, a team called Straight Line brought in eight, the 4Js brought in 6. That's Right brought in 8. Walleye 36 brought in 19. The Ice Holes brought in 10. Chuck's Burbit Camp came in with 3. The Tolman Trollers had 2. Olson 44 dumped 8 in a tub. And Team Gas yielded 3. For the most part, it had been a slow night. Hook, Line, and Sinker then came in with 68, including a tagged fish and a 9.5 incher, which was a good contender for the smallest bourbon. Millstream came in with 26. The Bourbon Bots brought in 9. The Cavemen, 10. The Digs, 28. Team Climax had 5. Team Ice Holes, not to be confused with the Ice Holes, had 14. And Bent Rod brought in 24, including a 7.7-pound fatty, which was heavier than Team Tuna's big one. Length, however, was what counted in this contest. But weight could be a tiebreaker. Next, Ray Lynn Dawn brought in 26 burbot, and the Arizona Ice Anglers came in with 12, including the second tagged fish of the day. I could go into the other numbers caught, but what's more interesting are the team names, i.e., Fish Corps, Ling Kings, Team Slime, Any Hour, Kiss Our Burbuts, Team Shoe Pick, and the Wild Turkeys. They had 90 fish, with two with tags. Meanwhile, down in Manila, it was reported that a team had brought in 167 burbot. Overall, at least 2,000 burbot were culled from the lake that day by 401 participants. These names. But, <laughs> yeah. and,
1: and, you know, and it reminds me a little like, you know, you got a trivia contest and stuff. Oh, and yeah. People have these kind of crazy names. But they take this seriously. I mean, they're even... people might be cheating.
0: They could. They could. Um, Unbelievable. That's why, like frozen burbot, were not accepted. Totally frozen. They had to be a little, had to have some giving them. <laughs> mm.
1: Oh man.
0: I could have gone back out on the ice that afternoon, but the wind was blowing hard, and frankly, I just didn't feel like putting all those layers back on, especially when the consensus was that the burbot just weren't biting like the year before, which could mean that the year-round harvesting was taking its toll, or it could mean that they just weren't biting. I decided to try the Utah side of the reservoir, which was extremely different from the Wyoming side. Whereas the Wyoming side was frozen and cold, the Utah end had open water, and Sheep Creek Cove was sheltered from the wind. With the sun beating down and all those bright colors blazing away across the bay, it was warm enough to sit there in my shirt sleeves trying to convince myself that I wasn't slacking off. Nope, I was doing serious research. Still. I knew that burbot spawned under the ice. With the spawn on, they were no doubt at the other end of the lake. So actually, I was slacking off. Yep, I was kicking back in the sun, watching the loons and coots tool by, and I had my ice fishing rod baited up with a crayfish. Nothing was biting, but I didn't care. I was reflecting, first, on the thought that if the catch was low out on the lake, maybe this meant that the burbot being caught were getting ready to move into the tributaries. I'd read in a few places that it's mostly the males that group together in the spawning balls, which led me to wonder where the females were. Could they be upstream in the rivers waiting for their guys? Maybe, but then again, I talked to a few fishermen who'd been fishing on the rivers. Some had done well, some got skunked. Whatever the case, I figured I'd shoot up to the Green River Arm that evening and take a look. But I was also reflecting on what burbot ate. According to Rob Buffler and Tom Dixon in Fishing for Buffalo, Frogs, q-tips, cigarettes, suckers, carp, mollusks, mice, burbot, crappies, rock bass, smallmouth bass, sculpin, smelt, crustaceans, minnows, shrews, perch, cisco, sunfish, insects, invertebrates, fish eggs, rocks, wood chips, and plastic pieces have been found in burbot. I didn't get a bite that afternoon, and with a lazy attitude like that, it was looking doubtful that I'd catch myself a burbot. I began to worry that catching a burbot was not destined to be part of this story.
1: It's very funny in the sense that everybody's <coughs> catching all these hundreds of fish around you. Yeah, you're, you're having trouble getting one.
2: It's in here you can taste it, feel the whole world shake. Waters rise, Breeze bend. If it's still sleeping, it's time you. If you're still sleeping, you awake.
0: On Sunday morning, there was one main check-in at the city park in Manila, presided over by Utah wildlife officials. Out of the 2,927 burbot caught on Saturday, 1,500 had been filleted, so no more were needed for the fish fry. According to the woman who oversaw that operation, the Filane team had been made up of four de-hiders and four filayers, and they'd worked all night. Biology students from Western Wyoming Community College were also on hand to collect specimens for research. I talked to their professor, Dr. Will Clark.
4: My name is Dr. Will Clark. I have a PhD from North Dakota State specializing in ichthyology. So being a professor of wildlife biology and ichthyology and fishery science, often you are after large numbers or large amount of data. And the burbot bash on the Flaming Gorge, which is very close to Rock Springs, Wyoming, where at the time I was an associate professor of biology at Western Wyoming Community College, it was a great opportunity for me and my students to go work with the game of fish and they gave us free fish so we could take the fish back dissect the fish look at their diet we could do other things like we did a lot of parasite work so looked at parasites that occur in the fish did a lot of growth analysis so fish have what we call otoliths so they have ear bones that occur in their skull they have three of them but for burbot it's important because one of these otoliths is fairly large i mean relatively it's really large and it's easy to remove from the skull of the fish and then you can crack the otolith in half and read it like a tree ring because fish are indeterminate growers so they grow forever and they constantly put material down on these otoliths bone material on these otoliths year after year after year just like a tree. And when they're growing fast, like in the summer months, they'll lay down different types of rings than what they would in the winter months. And it's nearly identical to what you would see in something like a tree ring with different seasons. So that's really why we were at the Burbitt Bash. Uh, Me and my students were there to help the game and fish, but also get fish. um, So we could go back and crack otoliths and age the fish and get growth rates and things like that. And then I could show the students how to run Von Bertalanffy growth curves or Gomford growth curves and things like that. So really, that's the purpose of myself and students at um, the Burbitt Bash.
0: Since Will was a burbot biologist, I told him about my hypothesis, that if the males were out in the lake, then maybe the females were in the rivers.
4: It was interesting to meet mark and talk with mark because he had hypotheses about what was going on in the lake and where were the fish at and things like that
0: i had tried to investigate this by going up to green river the night before to check out the fishing the four-wheel drive trail kept getting rougher and rougher and since there were no recent tire tracks on the snow i figured that nobody was risking fishing where i was heading which was starting to look like Stuxville. that's why i turned back
2: darkness claw their way to the light truth has always been a restless and going down without a fight
0: then the fish began flowing in team Strap brought in 20 wally 36 had six hooked on fishing claimed 26 and tip up came in with eight real action removed 17 Ooh. moon outdoors had 11 olsen 44 had four Red had 13, and That's Right brought in nine. That's right! JJ Jiggers, the Linguinis, Ramrod, Briggs Construction, the Burbit Killers, Johnny P's Fish Killers, and the Ice Halls counted for 117 total. A team called a say, then pumped up the expectations, bringing in 68, one of which was tagged. The teams that followed included TNB, Just For Fun, Stink Bait, the Diggs, the Clam, Team Ice Holes 2, and Shoe Pick. Who brought in the smallest burbit thus far 9.3 inches. These teams were responsible for subtracting 145 burbit from the reservoir. Then came Straight Line with 18, KKA with four, Banff with eight, Tempton with seven, Team Climax with 11, and the big money team Showfield with 124, including two tagged burbit. After that, teams George, Slime, Knight, blair eduardo, eduardo and the, the three hokos the cowboys ted york fish corps ice shanty utah tuna the burbot slayers burbot bashers and advantage oil fill services accounted for 225 first timers willard the ling slingers hook line and sinker real crazy fishermen and addicted to fishing they had 61. Daddy-daughter Burbit Bashers, Team Intrepid, the Tolman Trollers, the Cavemen, Team Gas, Millstream, and the Lip Rippers, they had 49, came in next. Any Hour, the Wild Turkeys, with 70, then weighed in. These teams brought in 266 total. The Ling Kings ambled in, followed by Team Mandy, Bent Rod, Mandy May, the Arizona Ice Anglers, Eel pouch, Devastators, Team Ice Hole, the other Team Ice Hole, Robert Blake, not the actor, Slagowski JJ, 302, and Wild Turkey, the singular <laughs> team as opposed to the plural one. These teams removed 174 from the lake. And suddenly the check in was over. A grand total of 4,039 Burbits had been taken out of Flaming Gorge Reservoir.
4: Whether they work or not as a game management, um, I think it's I think it's hard to say. Um can you overfish an area and remove a lot of the population? Absolutely. But in a lake like the Flaming Gorge, which is a giant reservoir, I think it would be hard for a fishing tournament to remove enough fish to make a dent in the population.
2: I don't know. Throw them down Stack them high On the cold, hard ground Lead the ways Got their reasons From drinking crowds From miles around Every season Maybe doing the right thing But you're doing the wrong Playing the, game.
0: the filleting contest was judged for technique and least amount of waste. There was a 5 minute time limit as well, but I didn't stick around to see the results because I wanted to check out the dumpster. It was full of hundreds of bourbons, most with their tails cut off. One burbot, however, caught my eye. It was a 14 incher. Its tail was still intact, its color hadn't faded yet, and its clear eyes hadn't sunk into its head. An evil thought crossed my mind. I could take that burbot and revive it. After all, I'd talked to buku fishermen who claimed you just couldn't kill him. I hadn't seen any literature on burbot having air breathing organs similar to bowfin or snakeheads, both of which the burbot resembles, but I'd seen burbot flopping on the ice staying alive while lake trout died. So I snuck that burbot back to my Jeep. I had no idea what I was gonna do with it, but I knew it wasn't quite legal to be taking this fish. Still, wildlife agents from Wyoming and Utah had seen thousands of live burbot brought in for this contest, and some had taken some breathers home. I drove to Sheep Creek and got some water in my bucket, then put the burbot in the bucket. I thought I saw it gasp, but I couldn't be sure. Then I took it back to my motel, filled the sink with creek water, and put the bourbon in the sink, where it could have more room to stretch out. I set up an aerator I brought along and covered the whole thing with a life jacket in case it tried to leap out. If anything, I was conducting an experiment. If it lived, I'd put it in a tank, and then I'd have a new grotesque to observe. If it died, then I'd have a better idea about what they can take. Either way. I figured I'd show it to my father in New Mexico on my way back to Arkansas.
1: So, uh, you, you're a fish smuggler now. You, uh, you, you've taken this back to the hotel room. Yes, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm. It's illegal I'm <laughs> smuggling fish. Okay, so why, why would this be illegal? Why would anyone even care that they took some out of the dumpster? Um, the
0: fear is that they'll get back into the system and just keep reproducing, or be taken to another system where, where that hasn't been invaded yet. I see.
2: And there ain't much wiggle room when you're playing Death Games. You're playing Death Games. You're playing Death Games.
0: There was definitely a tension at the contest, which was being emceed by a local television host when I was standing in front of him with a photographer who was also shooting the awards. I became a bit miffed at the record keeping. The day before, Wyoming officials had miscounted a team's catch and recorded an incorrect number, which I strove to correct. But now that TV clown was telling the audience that 4,000 burbot had been caught, and since they lay six million eggs each, this meant that 24 billion burbot had been prevented from coming into existence, which was wrong. First of all, Not all those burbot were egg-bearing females. Second, six million eggs was way off, and third, the survival rate isn't that high. I kept my mouth shut, though, until that is, he announced the winner for the smallest burbot, a 9.5-incher. Knowing that the smallest burbot was 9.3 inches, I walked over and told him. He seemed confused, but some other fishermen backed me up. That award was worth 600 bucks. I should mention that a number of raffle prizes had already been awarded, including a two-year lease on a brand new Ford F-150, an $800 fly rod, one guy won both, a 22 rifle, and a good number of gift certificates from local businesses. During that time, Mr. TV personality also announced that the 14 tagged fish caught in the contest hadn't been tagged by Daggett County and were therefore worthless. Then came the award for the most burbot, which went to Team Schofield. They caught 202, which earned them $2,500. This was followed by the award for the largest bourbon, in which the TV guy rattled off a figure I found myself disputing in front of hundreds in the audience, and he was not pleased. In an aside to me, he growled that his figures were the official results, mine were not official, and I was undermining the entire contest. Nevertheless, I expected accuracy, and that the anglers should get credit for what they caught. To that fellow, I was an invasive species with a press tag stepping out of my objective role.
4: The interest of me for these kind of contests was this dark difference between how burbot itself, how that fish species, Loda Loda, how people, I guess, interact with it in different parts of the country. So when I was in North Dakota, when I was a grad student, We'd do similar things in ichthyology classes. We'd go to these different burbot ice fishing contests that occur in Minnesota and North Dakota, and we'd do similar things, ask them for the fish. Now, it was different in Minnesota and North Dakota because no fish were wasted. Every single fish was filleted. Even the smallest fish were were filleted. The meat was then used as a big fish fry, and people paid to come to the fish fry and feed on the meat. So it was a difference when I made it to the burbot bash in Wyoming, because here was an ice fishing tournament, but the fish was hated. And the fish was, you know, the purpose of the tournament was to remove the fish from the water and whatever happened to the fish. Now, granted, you know, the fish is tasty. So a lot of the burbet that comes out of the burbet bash is consumed a lot is relative. Um, It depends on the year, how many fillets there are, how many people are in the tournament.
0: So I stepped over to the frying area where burbot fillets were being handed out for free. The meat was sweet and the cornmeal crust had a spicy kick. It was excellent fish. Back in my motel room, however, the burbot in my sink had gone
1: belly up. Oh, man. So, like, if this wasn't Mm. real, I would think you made this up. (laughs) This is um, just with the crazy TV guy. And you become essentially the burbot, don't you, to him? Oh, yeah. You're you're the invasive species of the press who's pointing out his inaccuracies. Enemy of the people. You're the enemy
0: (laughs) of the people.
1: What's the um, feeling at the end of these kind of things? Are they they jubilant or are they kind of... Because the press is covering them. I'm just wondering, like... Mm -hmm. Are people excited or...? Oh,
0: yeah, and this one was a lot like a county fair, you know, it's very rural in a sense, and is happening in a place in the summer where there are rodeos and business signs and there's kids running around.
1: and mm-hmm. A two-year lease for a brand-new Ford, even. So, yeah. high stakes. Um, unbelievable. I just think it's so ironic that there's all this fish and you just do not have any.
0: I never caught a burbot with rod and reel, but I did get the story. The story is I went to the burbot bash, I tried to accept ice fishing and failed, and I saw a lot of slimy fish. In the end I got my burbot in a questionable manner and stopped by my father's place and cooked up a pot of poor man's lobster with the fillets from the motel.
3: Is it something in love?
0: Most recipes I'd seen said to boil sugared water, then throw in some burbot chunks for five to seven minutes. One recipe, though, said to boil the fish and seven up. I was intrigued by the soda pop route, so that's what I did. We then dipped the meat in melted butter with garlic salt, and incredibly, it tasted a hell of a lot like lobster. The conclusion was that these fast-growing, delicious fish could make for an excellent commercial fishery. They can be harvested from the wild, where they're not wanted, or maybe they can be farmed en masse. Someone should definitely look into this. The lesson from the Burbin in my sink might be that they're not as tough as we think they are. Maybe they've got some chinks in their armor we haven't yet discovered. There's still a lot of research to be done. But if we find the means to eliminate them from the Flaming Gorge system, It might be a mistake to take them all out, because they're definitely worth introducing to our taste buds. Postscript. When I got back to Arkansas, I took that burbot to my local taxidermist. He'd never seen anything like it in his life and told me it would be hard to mount since there are no pre-made forms for this fish. He told me he'd have to carve one from wood, but if I wanted him to try, he'd take a shot. Looking down at that fat-bellied, bubble-eyed burbot with a single slimy barbell, I answered, Well, since you can't make it any uglier
1: than it already is, let's go for it. And I have seen that fish on your wall. Yeah. Yeah. So, in the end, if you were to say good or bad thing, ecologically helping us create balance?
0: Yeah. Every time we roll with a punch, we learn something, and this is a planet where... The punches are coming quicker and quicker now, and we need more creative solutions. We need to be as versatile as we can.
1: We need to make lemonade. Yeah,
0: there's no guarantee that things can stay the same. Things are are now rapidly changing because of climate change, invasive species, habitats being changed. So there's no way to stay the same. We got to learn how to change.
1: Broadcast from the studios of KUAR in Little Rock. You've been listening to Arts and Letters. Thanks for joining us. To check out past episodes, go to artsandlettersradio.org. Leave us a comment there and let us know what you've thought about the program. Thank you to musicians, singers, and songwriters Joseph and Michael Fuller. There's
2: no reason to think twice, they taste quite nice.
1: Oh, oh. Amy Joseph
2: Take me to the water, lower me down,
1: and Ashton Barbary. Amazing songscapes and songs. Thank you to biologist Will Clark for the interview. Thank you to Joseph Fuller of Orchestra of One for helping us to mix and for mastering the episode. Thank you to Sticky's Rock and Roll Chicken Show for keeping music alive and well in Arkansas. Generous funding for Arts & Letters was provided by the Arkansas Humanities Council and the National Endowment for the Humanities. Thank you to fish writer Mark Spitzer for taking us on this adventure to better understand the slime, the contest, the bourbon. With you, Mark, it's always an adventure. For Arts & Letters, I'm Jay Bradley Minnick. Let's heed these words from Anton Chekhov. The fish makes a sudden, unexpected upward move, and its tail and fishermen hear a loud splash. They all put out their hands, but it is too late. They have seen the last of the eel time. Arts and Letters is a production of
3: Living the Dream Media.